This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today's guest on Valley Views is Paul Clopton, local resident and luthier, and today we're going to be talking about guitar building. Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, Gary. Uh, thanks for having me. So how long have you and Jan been in the Valley? We actually started building our house in 2004. We were driving back and forth on weekends to work on the house from uh, Indian Hills, just outside of Denver. It took us about six years to get it done, and we were still working full-time. So, And Paul, when you were working, what did that entail? Pretty much I was had my own business, so I was doing all the estimating. I was ordering materials and actually doing most of the work. You basically built your house here in the valley. Yes, yes. So your woodworking uh, goes much beyond guitar building. Yes. So let's get to the guitars. Uh, When I've heard you play, you're always playing your own guitar, which is always very impressive. Tell me about your go-to guitar in terms of what the wood is, when you build it, uh, what went into the design of it. It's actually my second guitar that I built completely on my own. The first one was my wife's OM, which you've heard also. It's a dreadnought cutaway. Back and sides are Indonesian rosewood, which I can't find right now. And uh, top Sitka spruce. Enjoy playing the guitar. It, uh, a lot of things I would do differently, and I have done differently on newer guitars. You know, a little thinner neck. Uh, and then there's just little nuances you learn when you get the guitar built and you see this little slight crack in one place, you, you say, how, did I f- how do I fix that crack? Mm-hmm. What can I do? And, and you come up with a plan, and on your next guitar, that crack's not there. So, <laughs> Let's talk a bit about wood and tone. Sitka spruits, that is a common top material. Very and, common for steel strings. And, and then uh, Indian rosewood is common, uh, commonly before that. Back in the day, Brazilian rosewood was uh, right. the the go-to. It's probably very difficult to get these days, I would guess. If you pay the price, you can find it, but a lot of sets aren't, uh, they're a little gnarly. More knots, more things. It, it's uh, a premium wood, really. And back in the day, I know I have a 1966 Brazilian D35 which was the first year they built that, and they built the the 35, had the three-piece back because they had these pieces of Brazilian that weren't quite big enough yeah. to, to do the two-piece back, and so it was a bit of a convenience, and it became one of their new models 50 years ago. Right. <laughs> I have a 70-model D35, and it's right after the Brazilian Rosewood, after the fire they had. What is it about the spruce top that, makes it so desirable? Well, it's definitely a quarter sawn. It's a certain type of sawing. It's a very sturdy wood. If you try to break a piece, it's almost impossible. Mm. It has wonderful sound qualities. The, the top is actually puts out more sound than, the, than all the other components. They all add up. So if you have a rosewood on the back or mahogany, that's going to affect the sound, but the top puts out most of the sound. And then the backwood, for instance, the uh, East Indian rosewood that you were talking about, is uh, book-matched. 
So, Correct. So you look at one side and it mirrors the other. The same with the top. They're, they were right next to each other when they were slabbed, and then you just fold them, and, and that's how they come out. So the sides, too, are ripped from the same piece, and so it's consistency on the sides. There's a consistency on the back, how they come together in the grain. Mm-hmm. And it's an aesthetic thing. It's just kind of what you want to see for sure at, at some level. Well, yeah, it's aesthetic. So let me ask you about building guitars. If I decide, hey, I want to build a guitar, what kind of tools do I need? Well, I've got a lot of shop equipment, uh, you know, drum sanders, a uh, big bandsaw, different types of power sanders, which I have a dust collection system. Dust is a big thing. There's numerous small guitar building tools, and some of them are quite expensive, but they really make the job easier. <laughs> uh, small files, uh, and then I built a number of jigs, you know, after I got my shop built, a bending form, and mm-hmm. use a, a heating blanket and the metal slats, and you got these forms, and you, you form it on that, mm-hmm. and you bend the sides, and then there's a, a unit that that uh, you can do a mortise and tenon on your neck and on the guitar. Mm-hmm. I use that. Some You can also do a dovetail, but I, most people don't do dovetails anymore. So you make a good point. Uh, not only did you build a guitar, you built a shop before you did that. Yes. And a few years ago, you had a pretty major fire in that shop, so you had to retool some things. How much of your equipment got damaged by smoke or flame? Well, on the equipment, the motors, the copper, if the smoke gets in them, then it, it affects them. And plus just the smell and everything. So a lot of the big equipment was replaced. I Actually, the wood I had stockpiled in the upper area of the shop, I pretty well moved it to the garage because I had spent some time gathering it and had some pretty unique sets and things. And I honestly feel that the smoke is not an issue anymore. I mean, the smoke smell or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was told that you'd never get it out. But and anyway, it was about a two-year project. They had to tear all the drywall off. I caught the fire. I was working on a on an outdoor kitchen. And uh, fortunately, we got it so it wasn't a total loss or anything. But all the drywall had to be pulled off and redone. And it's about a two-year thing. And then also d- dealing with the insurance company. <laughs> Was was it? So that set your guitar building back back a little bit. Yes. One thing about building a guitar versus, say, building a table, a lot of skill goes into both of those. But there's a tone factor, and you don't hear the guitar until it's completely finished, and you string it up and take that first strum. What is that moment like? Well, one thing is that the guitar ages a little bit or, or settles in. So that first strum may not be what you exactly want, but then you've got to go through and set the guitar up. And mm-hmm. that's a process of working on the nut and getting it just just so in the saddle. And, of course, you know, the intonation is on the saddle. So all these things have to happen. So that first strum is not characteristic of what you're actually going to hear in a, you know, maybe a few weeks from then. That's a good point. There are certain aspects that are s- extremely exacting, where the frets are placed, where the bridge is placed, yeah. uh, those those sorts of things. Yeah, I've got this little table saw, and then you could buy uh, forms that, that you can glue to your uh, fretboard. It has little notches in it. I mean, there's other ways of doing it, fretting it by hand, but this way you could just 
use that notch and then run across the little table saw and then you bring it back, move it over a notch and you cut all your fret slots that way. And it makes it perfectly accurate. So they were all done with a laser. Tell me about finishing a guitar. I know people that restore automobiles. The finishing is like the ultimate challenge at the end. How about for guitars? Well, you know, a lot of not just cellulose lacquers, but had been used for a long time. And I used to spray that on cabinets and stuff. But I personally want to get away from fumes. And uh, so I'm using water base. It's a learning process. Uh, I've got some uh, Eagle Mix, some products that is used on cars for getting those perfect finishes and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm using them, and it's, it's, a, it's a dry system. It's not wet sanding or anything. And I've got a little thing that sets on the, de- the desktop and sucks all that fine dust that would go on your lugs into it, into a filter. Mm-hmm. Still, and then you buff it out, but the buffing process, you know, water base is just a different animal altogether. Okay. But I'm slowly getting to the point that it's shining pretty good. Good. That takes a long time to get get that right. What's your latest project? Are you working on one now? Well, I've got one almost done. I'm just setting it up. And what model is that? It's it's another uh, Martin-style dreadnought cutaway. East Indian rosewood. Sick atop. For those unfamiliar, uh, Martin, one of the most famous guitar makers, had a series of guitars, the D18, the D28, the D35, the 41, the 45, and they were all called a Dreadnought, which was a battleship name that they just chose. It was like, okay, this is our major big guitar. And the the Dreadnoughts are the large body styles that are very common in folk music and country music. And bluegrass, too. Exactly. The D18 was built uh, to compete with the fiddle and the banjo, those loud instruments, in an acoustic setting. And it does does pretty well. How about in your background? What guitars have you owned that you enjoyed? Well, I've got a, a Martin D35. It's not a cutaway. 1970. I've got a Guild D45, I think. I don't know. Very similar guitar. Mm-hmm. A Guild 12-string, which is mahogany. It's a smaller body, a thicker body, and it, it sounds great. A Takamini, when I was playing gigs, and it had the original pickup thing inside of it, which sounded really good and easy to use. Um, anyway, I've got still got these guitars laying around and everything. Back in the 70s, when the 12-string was in flower, Gordon Lightfoot played it, the Rooftop Singers, there's a number of songs that have that 12-string. The Guild 12-string was the one to have. It really rang. Right, right. (laughs) Paul, before we get too deep into the interview, uh, you've brought this Cutaway Dreadnought. How about uh, playing us a song? Sure. What what do you have in mind? Well, a song by Daryl Scott. You'll never leave Harlan alive, and I'll just play the instrumental on that. Uh, Very pretty. I saw Daryl Scott at uh, the barn dance down in Taos one time. There were all these super guitar players, and no one was more impressive than Daryl Scott. (laughs) He is amazing. He he played in his dad's band when he was 14. He played uh, guitar, banjo, steel guitar at 14, and uh, that's all he's ever done. 
great. Here's Paul Clopton playing You'll Never Leave Harland Alive. Paul Clopton playing Daryl Scott's You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive on his cutaway D28 that he built himself. Paul, thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Gary. We've been visiting with Paul Clopton, local luthier, local resident, local singer-songwriter. My name's Gary, and we'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. and again on Saturdays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. I'm walking on a rainbow.